Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice, for he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Last week, we heard the good news from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. 
that the many joyful and painful seasons of life will shape and change us and the world, but that what Jesus has done for us lasts forever. That Jesus himself and his work on the cross is your one constant, guaranteed promise that you should rest in and rely upon. The one thing above all else that you should cling to. Also, last week in chapter 3, verse 16, the preacher gave us a preview of what was coming in chapters 4 and 5. That if we look honestly at the world around us, we will find brutality in the place of justice and wickedness in the place of righteousness. And he continues at the beginning of chapter 4 to pinpoint some of the places where we see this. Now, remember, this is wisdom writing. The prophets, in their times, write much of particular injustices. But the preacher wants to observe what is true and let you know that you are not crazy for thinking it is wrong. He wants to see that something is true and is true everywhere that anyone could agree with it. The Proverbs teach us how things should work, and sometimes how they do work. But the preacher in Ecclesiastes wants to teach us how to live wisely in a broken world. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 1, Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Said another way, here's oppression, and the oppressed are sad and broken, and no one comforts them. Others exert evil power over them, and no one can offer the right kind of help to them. There does not seem to be a perfect solution. And, and here in South Africa, we know that well. The pain of imperfect solutions and the corruption which spoils even the most decent of imperfect fixes to problems. The preacher saw this well in his own land. And Jewish people who would know this wisdom would see it in the future as they were carried off into other lands and exiled there. And so the conclusion that our speaker comes to may seem strange. He's going to give us hope, right? Verse 2. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Those who have already met that great enemy of death are better off? And, and what's that? Those who have not yet been born and those who are not yet dreamed by their mothers and fathers are better off still? Verses 2 and 3 are offered to us as uh, words of mourning and sadness. And they're also offered to those who don't suffer greatly. 
so that they can consider the suffering around them and consider how serious the world's condition really is. Back in chapter 2, the preacher spoke to us about the smoke-like nature of our work, here and then gone. And now he wants to reopen that file and talk about it a bit more in depth. Verse 4, Then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity. This is, this is hevel. This is smoke and striving after wind. See, because many people work hard just to have more toys than the person next to them. And yet, on the other hand, verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Other than being disgusting, don't take it literally, okay? A foolish person just sits around and lets himself, his neighbor, and his work go all to waste. And yet, there has to be something in between being an overly competitive, greedy person who just wants more than their neighbor and a layabout do-nothing, right? So, in verse 6, we are told to work toward contentment, to not strive after those really expensive, <laughs> worthless things that are just going to blow away right out of our grip like smoke in the end. Verse 7, chapter 4, again, I saw vanity under the sun. Remember, under the sun is the preacher's words for this life in the here and now. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. No heir to pass your wealth to, no brother to share it with, and yet you will die and leave it all behind. And in verse 9, we have a truth that you know, and a verse you've probably heard before. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. Look, it's good to have a good teammate. It's good to have a person beside you who is willing to put the work in, who's willing to fail with you and succeed with you. Because then at least, whether failure or success, you still have a friend at the end of the day. Verse 10, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So, what about the guy in verses 7 and 8? If he succeeds, he'll have no one to celebrate it with him. Though he may have plenty of people who want to steal from him or take advantage of his new fortune. <laughs> right? Again, verse 11, If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. A great Christian poet once wrote that no man is an island. He said that every person was a part of the whole, and that as long as he was alive, he was connected to all humans. 
Anyone can say something like that. But as Christians, we know it is true and hold a responsibility to treat all people as truly being made in God's image. This means that we show respect to each life, born and unborn, and to each death. No matter the circumstance of birth, the person's color, their tribe, their language, or whatever politics they line up with, we show each of those people respect and care. This truth, along with the direct reference to the strength of a group of people, should not be strange to us. This is, in large part, why people get married. And then, when two cords of a rope are working separate from one another, this is why people usually get divorced. Because two are stronger than one, we don't send a single soldier out to war, but instead an army. This is also in part why Christ established his church. We need each other. Now, this is dangerous because I know many of you have had to figure out life on your own. Some of you have experienced the death of a spouse. Maybe a long time ago, your father left your family, or you were abused, or ignored, or perhaps a whole group of people that you trusted betrayed you or forgot about you and left you behind. And all of those circumstances make you distrust others, or worse, have made it to where you cannot trust others. And that's not even including hurt that you may have received from a church. Tara and I listen to a podcast each week, and two of the hosts on this internet radio show wrote a book together called The Bridezilla of Christ. Because they've been hurt by the church in serious ways and serious and yet silly ways. Maybe that's you. And I will admit, there is not much that we see going on in the church every day that would give me a lot of hope. A lot of the hopeful things in the church around the world are silent. You read about them on little blogs or updates from people. But perhaps you have been in a church where the pastor left his family, cheated on his wife, or you've been in a church where the law of God and the church's additions to it were what was supposed to keep you in the faith and you were always falling short. Or, or maybe it was something just seriously hurtful, but far more childish in lacking Christ-likeness, like gossip. Whatever the case may be, you may be able to do life alone, but you shouldn't. You will not receive the comfort, care, and companionship that God's people have to offer. And you know what else? You will not be able to give the comfort 
care and companionship that God has blessed you with for the people of God. The cord of Christ's church should not be quickly broken, and you, Christian, are a strand in that rope. You have already been made a part of God's people, and for you to pretend that you are not is foolish and it's damaging both to you and your Christian family. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Christ relates to us in our loneliness, but he doesn't leave us in our loneliness. Because in a world filled with loneliness and frustration, Jesus has placed us in a people and he has given us a purpose. In chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, we have a great little story about a poor young boy who has gained a lot of wisdom. And it seems as though he's a, a slave to debt and poverty, but he, he works himself out of it. He went from working in someone else's fields to sitting on the throne that overlooked his kingdom. And there... He used his wisdom, and he was popular, and he was effective, and yet, as he aged, he refused this wisdom, and he acted like a fool. And as generations looked back at him, he was not honored. Surely, that is a story of striving after the wind, working for a reputation, and then letting it fall on the garbage heap. This is a simple story, but it can connect to the words before and after it. Here, this king had no one, and then everyone, and yet was a single, easily severed cord because of a lack of wisdom. But also, because this king thought he alone worked himself to the top, that he was in fact the only one he needed, you may know it better from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so let's read chapters 5, 1 to 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one that you must fear. 
In the ancient world, fate, uh, that is, everything that happens to you, and the vows that you make were two very important parts of life. And we'll touch on fate, or the providence of God, as we might say, or as the preacher will later say it, time and chance, on another Sunday. But here, he wants us to see something about vows and the words we use when we speak to God. And let's start just by taking the preacher at his word. When you approach God, watch yourself. It's serious. That does not mean that grace and mercy aren't ours, but never let the goodness of God confuse you and cause you to think that he is not great and strong and far more weighty and worthy than the way we typically treat him. How can we take him seriously? Take his word seriously. To listen is better than to offer sacrifice. David knew this. You do not delight in the blood of bulls or I would give it to you. God, you delight in a repentant heart, David tells us in Psalm 51. And all Jews up until about 60 years after Jesus knew that sacrifice did not save them. Only God in his mercy and his grace did that. Though we do get a story of Jesus in Luke 18 about a teacher of the law who was showy with his repentance. And he needed everyone to know that he was sacrificing to God in the right way. While a very serious sinner <laughs> silently stood in the back unnoticed. And what does the text say? He went home forgiven. He didn't work for it a bit. So how can we take God seriously? By listening to his word. Listening because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That is the, the word about Jesus's person and work done for you on the cross. So be careful with your words, the preacher says. In fact, only fools use a lot of them. Which is saying something about preachers, I think, right? <laughs> no. Only fools use a lot of them. Don't be like that. But when you do promise something to God, do it. God has given you work to do and does not wish to put you outside of that work because of your foolishness. He does not want your sin to get in the way of what he has gifted to you and given to you to do. When we enter the house of the Lord, now the preacher here is speaking of the temple. And yet, here we are stuck at home separated from one another, and our regular place of gathering as well. But what we learn from the writer of Hebrews is that Jesus is the final temple. It is his completeness and perfection that the temple pointed to, and it is in Jesus that we meet God. It is in him that we see our good, great gracious and merciful heavenly father it is in him that we see the holy of holies and it is through the spirit that paul tells us in ephesians 
Two, that God is actually with us and binds us to himself and to one another. The final words of verse 7 remind us to fear God. Well, we have plenty of reason to be reminded of the fearsome creativeness of our God from our Job reading. And his strong arm that rescues us in the midst of a broken and ugly world from our psalm this morning. And yet, we can take refuge in Christ without fear and with no condemnation, as Paul tells us. Because all who turn from themselves to Christ are saved. And the riches of Christ are bestowed on you, and you will not be put to shame on the last day. When you place your faith in Christ, you are showing your fear of the Lord. When you trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, that is how all of your fear, love, and trust are expressed towards God. And church, I can't say it enough. In a world that is filled with, with loneliness and frustration and oppression and ugliness and brutality, you have been saved by Jesus and he has placed you in a people and he has given you a purpose. You can rest in and rely upon that each and every day. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.